the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at nine minutes past ten on this uh, Tuesday, the ninth morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Normally today would be cursing our day, and I apologize. I have to disappoint you by letting you know that Pete is traveling for the next two weeks, so he is going to be on hiatus somewhat. Uh, I think it's business slash personal travel, so he's got a lot of work he's doing, and he'll be back with us um, two weeks from today for the next cursing our appearance. Looking forward to that. Uh, but we do have a lot of other important things to discuss in his absence. I will again open the phone lines to you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. I'll try to read some of your Twitter and Facebook and parlor comments as well. You can reach me in those social media platforms at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, and no underscores. I want to pivot a little bit to, uh, to immigration in this hour, because, and particularly in this half hour, because of, well, a couple of reasons, actually. One is a really fantastic idea by uh, Victor Davis Hanson, a modest proposal on, uh, uh, on uh, immigration issues that, that I do want to share with you, but also uh, a couple of others um, as it pertains to the battle between Nancy Pelosi and AOC slash uh, Sharia Tlaib. So you got Alexandra Damasio Cortez, you got Sharia Tlaib, and you've got uh, Ilhan, I'm sorry, Jihad Omar, all essentially shouting the same things, um, but now not just at Republicans at one another. Nancy Pelosi is calling out the progressive left wing of these freshmen uh, from uh, you know for being completely oblivious to the real work- workings of Washington and, and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, she is trying to generate opposition to the Trump plan. And so are they. They just have very different different visions of it, and that's kind of you know what, what's important here. But um, what I do want to talk about when it comes to the issue of immigration, illegal immigration, is this: Victor Davis Hanson has an answer and a solution, if you will, a modest immigration. Everybody's talking about well, we need uh, we need uh, uh, comprehensive immigration reform. 
And maybe we do. But let's talk about something that's a little more practical in the meantime. And let's put the Democrats' mouths, or uh, excuse me, put their, uh, their money where their mouths are. College campuses have a lot of empty housing during the summer, do they not? Proudly progressive institutions such as Harvard, Yale, and Stanford, shouldn't they be willing to do something with all that empty housing? Shouldn't they be willing to open their doors to those who are looking for a place to stay in their newfound refuge, the United States of America? Victor writes, Representative Alexandria Damasio Cortez believes that the American detention centers and house illegal aliens, over one million illegals arrived uh, during the last six months alone, are similar to concentration camps. A storm of criticism met her historically fallacious comparisons. Damasio Cortez doubled down on her Hitlerian reference to pedantically, or excuse me, bipedantically claiming that she was referencing concentration rather than death camps. And thus, despite sloganeering never again with a wink and a nod, she was supposedly not suggesting that Auschwitz was quite comparable to America's border facilities. She then doubled down by visiting the border. On the basis of no evidence at all, she was soon claiming detained illegal aliens were drinking out of toilets, as well as alleging that immigration officers met her social welfare activism with rudeness and sexual innuendo. Where to start with her abject historical ignorance? One, America's detention centers bear no resemblance to concentration camps of the past. Illegal aliens know there is some chance that after they enter the United States illegally, they may be apprehended and detained. If they really believe the conditions of their detention resembled concentration camps, which historically are scenes of mass death, they would never come. Millions of Russians by summer 1942 were not voluntarily flooding across German lines on the expectation that they'd survive, much less thrive, in Nazi concentration camps. The German public did not pressure the Nazi hierarchy to allow lawyers and counselors into Soviet POW camps. Boer children did not migrate to British territory on the rationale that their detention would be without hazard. Certainly, undocumented immigrants receiving, for example, free transgendered counseling and hormonal treatment while in American custody do not resemble the inmates of concentration camps. American immigration authorities are trying to facilitate brief detentions and expedite both deportations and refugee hearings to curb the number of detainees. In exact opposite fashion, the wardens of concentration camps historically wanted to lock up as many people as possible, not release them. Release from concentration camps was often facilitated only through death by starvation or disease. If Damasio Cortez can cite the historical example of concentration camp inmates having access to legal counsel, modern medicine, and communications, as well as nutritious food and shelter, she might at least offer some parallels rather than her characteristic half-educated tweets. If, for historical comparison, writes Victor Davis Hanson, She wishes to return to the wrong-headed wartime detention of Japanese-Americans and Japanese citizens residing in the U.S. Then she should at least focus her ire on the architects of that stupid policy, the yellow journalism and hysteria of the liberal McClatchy papers of California, the careerism of then-California Attorney General Earl Warren, and the patronizing racism of Franklin Roosevelt. In other words, the progressive trifecta that ensured the detentions. And while we're on the topic of progressive Supreme Court justices, AOC might just wish to probe uh, Justice Ruth Ginsburg about her past commentary on the oppressed and abortion. For example, frankly, I had thought at the time that Roe was decided there was concern about population growth, and particularly growth of populations that we don't want to have too many of. 
Wow. As if from the words or the mouth of Margaret Sanger herself. At any rate, moving forward, if uh, Damasio Cortez is worried about the maltreatment, illness, and hunger of the poor, she would find a half million in dire need on the streets of America's major cities, almost all of which are currently controlled by progressive mayors and city councils, while zoning and gentrification and green regulatory policies ensure an absence of low-cost housing. To walk into the downtown areas of L.A., San Francisco, Fresno, San Jose, is to witness many of California's 130,000 homeless living on the sidewalks and streets among filth, refuse, feces, needles, lice, fleas, and rats. History's traditional ingredients for plague and death, with our era's addiction of drug paraphernalia. Juxtaposed to those medieval scenes are soapbox lectures about caring, intoned by progressive elites such as Mark Zuckerberg, Gavin Newsom, and Nancy Pelosi, who live in splendor in the Bay Area. Their neighborhood private security details ensuring that their constituent peasantry keep their trash, illnesses, and defecation lower down the hill and outside the walls. Indeed, California recently experienced outbreaks of pre-modern diseases such as typhoid, typhus, tuberculosis, and infectious hepatitis. Doctors warned that the plague and cholera may be next. So what do we do? What is the grand answer to all of this? How can we find a modest proposal to try to keep these illegal aliens from adding to that already extraordinarily disease-ridden problem that we have going on in the United States? How about this one? Quote, We are currently at the beginning of the summer vacation season when America's 4,000 colleges and universities have plenty of empty dorm space and underutilized facilities. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, to take just a few examples, might each volunteer to house and feed 1,000 detainees each. Think of the advantages that would accrue to everyone involved in this present tragedy. Immigrants would find safe and sanitary 90-day quarters, almost all of them in university towns that are proud sanctuary cities. Many universities have top-ranked medical schools. Hundreds of resident interns might offer their medical expertise pro bono, especially about how uh, about hard-to-treat resistant tuberculosis or bouts of little-seen whooping cough. Yale and Harvard Law Schools are famous for their legal expertise and could offer immigrants top-flight counsel about ensuring refugee status. Schools would have incentives to expedite repatriation before the September commencement of classes. Our universities are, of course, loci of, of uh, progressive caring and are praised for their sharp opposition to what they think are archaic ideas of sovereignty and border security and legal-only immigration. And yet so often our so- social justice warriors are distant from the concrete recipients of their own often loud advocacy. What better pathway for cultural progress than to have university communities interact with recent immigrant arrivals through housing, socializing, and schooling immigrants? A kid from Atherton, Cambridge, or Chevy Chase might learn a lot by living among arrivals from Oaxaca and vice versa. At least such first-hand association would ground urban progressives' abstract advocacy in real-life caring. Immigrants would at least be able to, or at last be able to socialize with and appreciate their progressive advocates. In short, if the summertime use of underutilized university campuses, many of them small, or many of the smaller ones are financially strapped and in dire need of revenue, as contracting agencies with the federal government is an ideal solution 
to those who were worried about the supposed callous treatment and overcrowded and underfunded federal immigration centers. What a brilliant, brilliant idea. Laying out the history, laying out the problems, the problems at our border, the problems of the detention centers, the problems of homeless on our streets already. Let's Ask the liberal Democrat indoctrination centers like Harvard and Stanford and Yale and Princeton and all the rest that you just heard. Let's put them, have them put their money where their mouths are. You're strong advocates for sanctuary cities, strong advocates for treating immigrants right, giving them health care, giving them food, giving them shelter. You're such strong advocates for it, and you're teaching all of your little lemmings uh, to learn these things when they come onto your campuses. Let's put it into practice. Open your doors of your dorms for 90-day stays to the illegals pouring in from Central America, teeming with disease, teeming with all kinds of things. Bring them into your dorms. Or is it easier to just sit in your ivory towers and pass judgment on everybody else and how they feel about it. What about when it comes home to you? What about opening your doors? Forget about the dorms. Professors, proponents of sanctuary cities, board of trustee members, I guess we could just call them trustees, university, open your homes. Clearly you've got a guest room or a guest wing or a guest house or a lake house or a vacation house, you can open the doors and bring immigrants there for 90 days at a time. Come on! You say you want these people to be taken care of and you want to keep the borders open, decriminalize uh, crossing the border illegally, then let's do this. Open your doors. Put your money where your mouth is or close your mouth. Back after this. Ten twenty-five. We continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I said there were two reasons I wanted to pivot to immigration. Here was the other one. I received an, an actual physical mail, um, you know, snail mail letter. I, I get these uh, from time to time from folks who don't use computers and uh, don't have access to email and these sorts of things. Oftentimes, they arrive very late because of that, or they get their you know way through the office to my hands uh, very late. This issue, or excuse me, this letter is actually from June twenty-fifth. So I'll let you know what I'm talking about. About two weeks ago. Chris in North Royalton sent me this snail mail letter that said, Bob, I'm an avid listener at work to your show, but don't have a chance to call or email. Just a quick comment and potential solution to a part of the border crisis. A major part of the problem is the backlog of asylum hearings of border crossers. What about using retired and active members of the JAG units slash military courts as on-the-spot hearing officers? As commander-in-chief of the military, President Trump could call up and or assign these folks. And since they are of a judicial background, they would have knowledge of the Constitution and the order of jurisprudence to officiate at such hearings. Maybe this use of retired military judges for asylum hearings should be considered. Maybe next time you speak with Congressman Jordan, it could be floated. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Chris M. from North Royalton. Chris, you're 100% right. Uh, I have floated this idea as well, although I don't know if I've talked about retired judges, particularly military judges. Um, but what I have talked about is training. And there have been some other people who suggest this as well. Training existing Border Patrol officers and uh, Customs and Border Patrol agents um, 
in matters of asylum and in matters of the Constitution and teaching them and training them and swearing them in as people who can make these decisions on the spot. So when someone turns themselves in to an agent and says, I'm requesting asylum because of political persecution or whatever the lingo is that they're being taught by Democrats on the other side of the border, they make their case and their appeal to an existing person with authority on the spot to hear their claim and judge on its uh, accuracy and its veracity. And then if it is determined that there is no legitimate claim and there is no evidence of that, they get turned around and marched away on the spot. That is exactly how it ought to be done. Many people have made that suggestion about training existing border personnel. Yours is the first one, though, to talk about retired uh, 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 JAG officers and uh, military judges. I think that's a great idea. I really do. And I hope that is something. And I'll see what Congressman Jordan does have to say about it. Kate is calling us from Vermilion on AM 1412. Answer. Go ahead, Kate. You're on the air. Hi. I just wanted to tell you that I, I just watched a video on... Um, I'm a participant with Act for America, and I'm not sure if you mentioned on your show or not, but, you know, uh, all the candidates that are running as far as the Democratic um, campaign for president, um, some of them say they're moderate, and people think of Buttigieg as moderate. I just learned that he has grown up with a father that was very, very active in socialism. I learned from Trevor Loudon. Were you aware of that? No, I'm not very aware of uh, Pete Buttigieg's father, but I can tell you just from listening to his, his campaign speeches and his statements and interviews, anybody who thinks he's a moderate doesn't know what moderate is. Uh, exactly. He is, he is very, very far left. I don't know that I would necessarily push him quite to the level of AOC and Bernie Sanders, you know, avowed democratic socialists, but it would not surprise me if he had some upbringing that way, either from well, a formal education or from his home. I'd like to see you research it because Trevor Howden, Trevor Loudon just gave a. Um, uh, I watched a video from a, a previous uh, Act for America, and it was unbelievable with the history of his family. He has grown up around the table talking about socialism. His father was very, very active. And yeah, but if that, you that bring that up, but if you, you bring that up in public, you realize though you're going to be called a homophobe because you can't make fun of Pete Buttigieg. You well, you're going to go by history of socialism. I, you know that you have to leave that out. That other stuff is like like. I know, clothes, I know, and, I'm, know? and I'm, being, yeah. I'm being facetious, yeah. Kate. But I mean, literally, I it doesn't matter what you say about him, factually based or not. It's going to be you're attacking him because you don't want a gay president. It's the same thing that happened with Barack Obama. He used his skin color as a way to defend yeah. criticism. You don't, don't want a black president, and yeah. Pete Buttigieg will do the same, and his supporters will do the same thing because of his sexual orientation. But well, I will look into it, and I'll try to look please, at that video if you're allowed as That's well. That's a real important fact. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate the heads up on that. Really do. Uh, all right, it's 1030. We're going to get news, and on the other side of the news, we're going to bring a, a local story back to the forefront here. Um, are they allowing people who believe in life and the right to life to appear in Fairview Park? In other words, we talked about this uh, about a month or two ago. The Fairview Park Summerfest is getting set here in, uh, in the month of July. And are they going to allow an organization that has appeared in that space for the last 20 years to come back after a year's absence? We're going to talk to uh, the secretary with the Suburban West Right to Life, Judith Major, coming up next right here on AM 1420. Will and the Ad Council. Ten thirty-five. As we continue, 
AM 1420, The Answer. Good Tuesday to you. Hope you're having a great day. we got 25 minutes of outstanding conversation for you left today. Then Mike Gallagher will entertain you until noon. You're going to have Dennis Prager. You're going to have the great Dr. G, Jay Sekulo, and Larry Elder. Stay here if you're looking for the best in conservative news talk and analysis, free of buffoonery. This is where you go. So we talked... Um, earlier this year in the springtime about the Fairview Park Summer Festival, their Summer Fest, for, if my memory serves, the better part of the last decade or two decades? I'll have to get some clarification on that. The um, Suburban West Right to Life group has had a booth at the festival, like so many other businesses and charitable uh, uh, causes and, and other organizations do at these summer festivals. Last year, the Suburban West Right to Life was denied their long-standing booth. Uh, simply a pro-life, pro-life booth. It's apparently controversial. This year, they applied to get that overturned or to get that decision reversed, and um, they got an answer. Are they allowed back in? Let's uh, ask Judy Mazur. Judy is the secretary of the Suburban West Right to Life group who uh, reached out to me on this again. Judy, I appreciate you uh, doing just that. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. So, um, first of all, how many uh, years? I, I couldn't quite recall how many years had the uh, Right to Life had a had, had a booth at the Summerfest. About twenty-one. So I was right, a couple of decades. Okay, so about twenty-one years, no problems. You're allowed to have your Right to Life uh, a booth at this festival. Last year was last year the first year I was correct on that too that you were turned away. Yes, yes, okay. last year the year before uh, we were required to have uh, a million-dollar insurance policy, uh-huh. um, which we are affiliated with Ohio Right to Life, and so they covered us uh, for that. Um, I, I don't know if we were the only ones that were, uh, you know, that had to have a million-dollar insurance policy. I think they thought it would keep us out, but as it turns out, it didn't. Um, but other groups that I had talked to um, during the, the fair they had no idea about insurance policy. So I don't know if everybody is required or specific groups or what. But anyway, so two years ago we had um, a million-dollar insurance policy for liability, and then last year we were just um, rejected. So So they tried two years ago. They tried to reject you without having to admit we rejected you. We're turning away right right to life organizations. So they tried to to, uh, use the cost to deter you from even wanting a booth there. So that didn't work. So last year they went ahead and had to do it. I know there was a lot of negative publicity about it. And so this year, a chance for them to atone and do the right thing. And I am in receipt of a letter from uh, an attorney, Harold Hom, who I guess is representing Fairview Park, either the city or the Summerfest. And you can tell me about that. But Tell me what he said. Uh, well, basically that we were a controversial group and they didn't want any controversy. Um, they also said that uh, Planned Parenthood had applied uh, to have a booth and uh, they had rejected them. So, because they didn't want any kind of controversy, uh, it was a family of uh, family theft, and uh, they didn't want um, any. Uh, problems any complaints and they didn't certainly didn't want any controversy so <laughs> so judy do you have any evidence did they provide any did you ask for any that there was an actual submission from planned parenthood that they turned away as well we have not 
the last committee meeting was in April. One of our members went and uh, declared that he would like to have uh, a pro-life presence at the fair, as they had had for many, many years. And uh, they did not, you know, give him an answer. They just said, well, there were a lot of complaints, which he uh, asked to see the complaints. And, of course, there was nothing written down. Mm-hmm. Um, we have since talked to several churches in the area, uh, St. Angela's, uh, one of the Protestant churches, and they liked having us there. They liked uh, our presence there. It was uh, very uh, uplifting. And people come are by churches, and comment. Are churches allowed to have booths there? Or what if you're just a church and you're not a right to life group? They can are, have a are booth. Are churches allowed to be? They there? do. They have booths. Okay. What, what, what if what if the churches presented as part of their booth displays or handed out as part of their booths uh, literature pro life brochures? Would that would they then be banned from doing so? Because obviously pro life is in keeping with the mission of the church. I do not know. Uh, usually, the displays that here. the churches have are uh, about you know their uh, their activities, their worship services, masses, whatnot. They usually have that, and then what the churches are involved in, any of their charities that they're involved in, uh, any of their youth group that they or groups that they sponsor they usually yeah, have I that. Understand um, all that but I what i mean seen... is this is one of the things that churches do it is one of the things that churches do is they spread right. the word of god and they spread the mission of god and and one of those things is saving lives of, of and, and protecting life i would imagine that they would be receptive if 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 the right to life if your organization were to come to them and say hey since they're denying us our presence and you appreciated our presence in the past maybe we can we can work together here would you be willing to uh, at least you know if you're not handing them out to passers by have a few of our brochures pro pro life pro not even ours if they want to take your name off of it to um you know to eliminate any of the uh condemnation from the fair the uh summerfest committee but just have pro-life literature available to people on the tables there if they come by and and are expressing interest in other things that the church is all about? Well, that certainly is uh, a great idea. Uh, We will investigate that. We'll look into that, but it certainly is. We're going to, we are going to have a presence there. We're going to be there on Saturday. There's a group of us that will be uh, marching through the parade, uh, marching through the fair wearing our pro-life shirts. (laughs) That's great, and that's a very good thing to do as well. I mean, are you allowed to carry signs? Do they have any bans against signs at the uh, at the fest- Summerfest? I'm not sure if you can carry signs unless you have uh, a purchased booth and outlet for that. But we okay. will have our pro-life shirts on, and so okay. we will we will be a presence. We will be there um, marching through, and we talk to people, and we do carry brochures with us. I uh, I want to go back. You were talking to Judy Mazur. Am I saying your name right, Mazur or Mazur? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, uh, who is the uh, secretary at the Suburban West Right to Life? I want to go back to the Planned Parenthood thing. Um, reading from the letter from Harold Hahn, the attorney, um, who apparently representing the Summerfest committee, 
said, quote, the committee wants Fairview Park Summerfest to be a family-friendly, non-controversial, peaceful community event. For that reason, the committee rejects a booth application from any organization that the committee deems controversial. Please note that Planned Parenthood submitted a booth application this year, and the committee denied that booth application, too. I want, I smell BS, uh, Judy, and that's the reason I asked if if they could provide you with documentation, proof that Planned Parenthood did this. I smell an absolute rat here. I think this is their way, just like they tried to deny you and your booth, or excuse me, your group a booth and a presence at the event two years ago by trying to give you this million-dollar insurance uh, uh, nonsense. I think this is their way of covering their behinds. They can't appear to be pro-choice or pro-abortion um, you know, and denying a, a, a charitable organization, a nonprofit pro-life uh, organization like yours a spot. So they had to say, we denied yours and we de- denied theirs. I would demand to see proof that, that Planned Parenthood wanted a spot there. Has Planned Parenthood ever been there before? Um, I don't recall... Um, I thought that there was um, a table with literature there uh, a few years ago. I can't be quite sure because I didn't, you know, make a note of it because there were a lot of churches. There were, it's a huge, huge fair. It's on two different sections. But I believe um, there may have been uh, a table with literature. I don't know who sponsored it, whether it was I would Planned like, Parenthood. Yeah. I would like proof, and I'm going to, in fact, I've already asked my, my assistant to reach out to uh, this attorney to see if he'll come on the air with me. I would like to see proof that Planned Parenthood submitted an application to be there and that they denied them and you. Secondly, what I would also like is an explanation as to how this in any way disrupts the peace for you to have a booth that says, we support life. He said in this letter, quote, this is to be a family-friendly, non-controversial, peaceful community event. Have pro-life groups, to your knowledge, at this festival or any others, Judy, ever done anything to disrupt the peace? Have they attacked anyone? Have they, have they, you know what I'm saying here? They're suggesting no. that you guys are in some way. No, we talk to, we talk to everybody, <clears throat> pro-life, pro-choice, whatever their opinion. You stop by the booth, that's our whole idea. And we, we do hand out literature on, uh, various pro-life things and um, chastity on, uh, you know, what the abortion procedure is. Um, We have help brochures uh, that you can give to someone with um, all kinds of information on birthright and Mm -hmm. organizations, you know, that help uh, house, that help uh, give, you know, support and you know, financial as well as uh, items, baby food, um, formula, things like that. And we do that as a service, just like all the other pro-life organizations, which everybody does. And we're always glad to talk to people and hear their opinion. And maybe we can change their mind. Maybe we can give, offer them uh, some help, maybe if even if... They don't need help. They can pass it on to someone else who can, you know. Our purpose is to save lives, to have uh, the worth of the human being uh, is what we profess and what we believe. And we'll be glad to talk to anybody, and we do. We have very few negative comments when we go to these fairs. 
we just did the Hooli, which was uh, the Saturday before Father's Day in West Park, and 95% of the comments that we got were positive. Um, you know, people, usually people don't even come and argue with us. Um, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll say something in passing. You know, they'll uh, give us the finger, um, which we say is pointing up to heaven. <laughs> uh, or they'll, you know, they'll say thank you for being here. But we do have a lot of people stop by. We have uh, fetal models. We give out fetal models of a, an 11-week-old uh, fetus in the womb um, so that people can see, they can touch it, feel it. And a lot of the kids are very attracted by the fetal models, and the parents will stop by and say, that's what you looked like when you were in the womb. And we explain things. We um, encourage encourage knowledge, which is if sure. people have the knowledge. A lot of times if um, women know what it is, they make a choice for life. So that's our purpose, is to profess and encourage life. I don't know of any pro-life I don't know how that. I don't know how that disrupts the peace. You know, I, that, that's the point here. This is their, 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 their complaint and their justification for denying you a spot is that this is supposed to be a non-controversial, peaceful event. This, you, you guys and virtually every Right to Life group I have ever seen has always been about being peaceful, never angrily or intimidatingly confronting anyone. The only people who do that are the pro-abortionists. And I can see why they would ban pro-abortionists. But that is not what you guys do. And I'll tell you something else, Judy. This is just, you know, <clears throat> it strikes me as being odd. You know, they call this a family-friendly event. Right. Um, don't families generally consist of parents and their children? Don't families literally consist of parents and their children? This is an organization Usually. that promotes families trying to stop people, or not even to stop them, but to educate them before they make the decision to destroy their families before they are even born. Um, what is more pro-family at a family-friendly summer fest than a right-to-life group saying, let's celebrate children and let's give them a chance to live? I agree, of course. <laughs> That's uh, just maybe a message, I suppose, for the uh, for the committee uh, for the Summerfest committee. So, uh, listen, Judy, I'm glad you um, uh, brought this to my attention. Uh, I, like I said, my assistant is reaching out to the attorney who sent this letter of denial. Again, I don't know if he's on the committee or if he represents the committees from a legal standpoint or whatever the case might be. But we're going to try to get him on, and I'll ask him some of these questions. And I would like every, other people to show up. Uh, and and con- you know, is there a contact? I wonder. Is there is there a phone number for the actual Summerfest committee, or is there a an email address? Because I bet a lot of our listeners who are pro life would love to reach out to this committee and say, you know what, we think you're making a drastic mistake here, and that pro life booths ought to be allowed to be present at your Summerfest committee. Is there a way to reach them? There is, there is, and there's people on the committee that you can call. I don't have that at my fingertips, but I can get it for you, so I can. Uh, get it and give it to uh, your call screener. Yeah, that would be great. I and mean, of course, I'm not suggesting anything like you know private cell phone numbers being given out to these committee members. But if there's a committee organizational line or something like that, or a, or a business that is being used as the uh, you know the uh, uh, the, the right. center, if you no, will, there, for the committee, people, I, I want to give there that are people out. in charge on the committee that you can directly contact. Okay, and I, that's I what do, I'm looking for. And if you could send, yeah, that to we me, do I'll, have that I'll make sure to get it on the air. All right, I, I will look forward to that. Uh, you know how to reach me, Judy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing the story with us. Thank you.
You got it. Have a, have a wonderful day. That's Judy Mazur from the Suburban West Ride to Life. I will get that information. And I hope if you are able to attend, and I don't even know if the dates were on this list. I might have to look that up, too. The dates for the Summerfest 2019. I don't have them in front of me. I'll share that on the other side. And if you go to this Summerfest, and uh, if you do patronize it, I hope you will seek out the organizers and let them know how you feel about the denial of the booth that was there for 21 years, peacefully presenting pro-life messages without any disruptions at all for 21 or 22 years, Judy said. Uh, Their denial now uh, because of the uh, pro-abortionists. I'll get that information if I can get it to you on the other side and be right back. Final segment of the broadcast this morning. I'm going to get a phone call here from Patrick waiting in Fairview Park. Uh, Patrick, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Good. Thank you. What's uh, on your mind? Uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with uh, Fairview Park. I um, lived there for 20 years, raised my kids, served on a lot of civic committees, and um, it was either last year or the year before when I heard about... Um, the festival committee not allowing uh, the right to life back in. And I should have said, first of all, I am absolutely pro-life and uh, always have been. I have four kids. Um, and I was going to initiate some action with the city. I had formerly been on city council, so I knew a lot of the folks there. I uh, knew a lot of the people on the festival committee and everything. And I... Um, <laughs> got reports from um, people uh, that had booths around the pro-life booth that they were they were disruptive um, and I can remember actually a group of them marching through or walking through the fairgrounds and they were um, they were very scary looking and I can't recall exactly what it was about their appearance that was scary, but I would consider it disruptive. And from what the other um, Patrick, I'm sorry if I'm not buying. I'm sorry if I'm not buying the story here. Um, okay, I, I've well, met these people. I've okay. seen these. Hold on, hold on. I if you think that a bunch of middle-aged ladies and and gentlemen. Uh, wearing T-shirts and handing out brochures um, are intimidating and scary to anybody. I, I just, I don't know. I question your um, uh, <laughs> your judgment in that area. Uh, look, I, you know, you, everybody can can evaluate it as they want. I'm not calling you a liar. I am simply saying I would have a hard time believing that personally that I would be intimidated by any of these people from right to life groups that I've met. They're not antifa. They're not marching around in black masks and uh, and pushing people and and uh, threatening to pepper spray people if they don't uh, if they don't uh, you know give their uh, you know uh, profess the right message that they agree with etc. Uh, they are people who hand out pamphlets and people who suggest to other people here's an option if you have find yourself in a position or share this with somebody else in the position of an unplanned pregnancy uh, you do have options and they pass this information out. I, I just, I'm sorry. Uh, the only people that I, you, you declared yourself to be pro-life, and I will take you at your word. God bless you. But to me, 
just based on common sense, the only people who would find pro-lifers handing out pamphlets uh, intimidating would people who would be who are Planned Parenthood supporters. Now, you say you're not one of those. I will, again, take you at your word. Good for you. God bless you if you are pro-life. That is wonderful. We are on the same side. Um, I can't imagine these women, like I said, being who they are and what they are, intimidating anybody unless they were somebody who wanted to be intimidated. And that's where I'm going to have to leave it. That's all the time that I have. I, we'll talk more about this. I hope to get the attorney representing Summerfest on the air uh, before this week is out. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's next. Have a great day. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.